0: Telltale signs of a healthy relationship: respect, trust, honesty, direct and clear communication, emotional availability, authenticity, autonomy. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be able to have some de- independence outside of the relationship. Physical intimacy that doesn't just include sex. I'm talking about all forms of you know physical intimacy. Those are the pillars.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. I have an episode all about one of our favorite topics on MakeBank if I am judging by the download stats, and that is relationships, dating, attachment styles, all that good stuff. And today we have Erica Turner, who is a relationship therapist and dating coach who uses her clinical expertise plus personal experiences to help you create a love that lasts. Erica's passion for her work is driven by your own history, of unfulfilling relationships that led her on a journey to self-discovery. The day that Erica realized she had an anxious attachment style was the day that she committed herself to healing so that she could end the cycle of dead-end dating. Erica is the attachment style expert that you need to help you explore how your attachment style influences how you show up in your relationships, heal the dating patterns keeping you stuck, and attract your dream partner. So welcome, Erica, to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. You know, as you said, this is like just the funnest topic to talk about. So, <laughs> yeah, this is so fun. I always find that my episodes about like relationships and dating, sex, money, all of the things that are considered like a little taboo or like juicy gossip are always the ones that hit the most. So, I know that this is going to be a highly reviewed episode. Awesome. Amazing. So tell us a little bit more. Like I'm really curious about your journey around what like sparked that like okay, have to figure this out. Cuz I I know that for so many people in any sort of like helping field or educational field or coaching field, it's often born from like our biggest struggles and that's like speaking for myself as well. Like it is often born from the things that we had to work so hard to, to overcome in our own Journeys, and it sounds like that's probably true for you. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what was kind of that like pivotal moment for you where you're like, okay, I'm figuring this out.
0: Yeah. And I always, you know, go back in my mind to being in my old apartment, sitting with someone that I had been dating, and they came over to give me the dreaded it's over, Mm -hmm. you know, conversation. And once he had delivered his message, I was so angry. And I remember just, you know, berating him, telling him, I was just so mad. How could you treat me this way? And his response was, well, why did you let me? Mm, Wow. And that, and he didn't even say it in like, a snarky way it was like he was genuinely wondering himself like why did you let me treat you like crap and that was when the alarm bell started going off in my brain of why did I Uh, why did I allow you to treat me this way yeah and so he left I cried and then a couple days later you know picked myself up off the bed or the floor or whatever and just realized I have to, I have to make some changes. I can't.
1: Yeah. I want to answer that question. Why did I? Yeah. So then what was like the first place that you turned when you're like, okay, I I can't go on. I need to figure this out. Like that, then where do you go?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, luckily I had, you know, gone to school, you know, for clinical psychology. So I kind of started just reading all about attachment styles all over again, but from this completely different lens, right? Mm. Of just kind of realizing, oh yeah, because you know it was always just this like clinical understanding of attachment styles, but never really applying it to myself. Mm. And mm-hmm. then realizing, oh my gosh, I'm anxiously attached. Ding, 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 ding. Like all of these are hitting. So then I was just reading and educating myself on everything that I could get my hands on when it came to attachment styles. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really kind of the just foundational,
1: yeah step, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was that was where you entered into the rabbit hole, and yes. from that, like, what was that journey from discovering I'm anxiously attached to now being at a place where you're an expert in this and you can guide other people through their dating and their relationships.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a jump! I mean, I I do want to say this happened. I guess. Nine or ten years ago, that like yeah. light bulb moment, yeah, so it's been quite the journey from just getting all of that kind of baseline awareness, and I always like to say, you know you can only do so much healing and self work and you know self understanding building as a single person,
1: mm-hmm. and then you have
0: to go out into the dating world, and you know, I wasn't you know fully ready, probably, but I had to start putting what I had learned into practice. You know, for example, I can say I have this perfect understanding of all my boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. But then I get out into the dating world and it's like, I'm dropping Mm. my boundaries left and right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So once I started the dating process again, being able to just be so much more self-aware because I was completely Mm -hmm. unaware beforehand and I was just like functioning like automatically. Based off of you know just these sort of lingering core beliefs about myself that I wasn't even aware of. So yeah, I don't want to keep talking because (laughs) I don't want to keep running. You know, I could go on this forever, but yeah, that was kind of the pivot. There was getting back out there with this new level of awareness.
1: Yeah, so interesting that you said like you can only go so deep, just you yourself and you. Like there, Mm -hmm. there's only so much work to be done because I've been with my now husband for like ten years now. So Mm I haven't been in the dating games since I was literally in college. Mm-hmm. But by witnessing so many of my friends dating all that, like I can definitely see the experience where it's like every new partner, every new person that you're seeing like brings up different things. And even like in my relationship with my husband, like obviously we've been through so many evolutions of who we are. And it's so interesting where like career changes or location changes or things like that, like there there is new stuff brought up all the time like as we evolve and we can like meet each other in new depths so I definitely want to go more into that but first I want to give people just like a crash course of attachment styles 101 I would say probably most people have heard of attachment styles at this point Mm -hmm. but they don't actually understand or a lot of people probably don't actually understand what they mean or like you said they maybe understand like the theory of them but not necessarily Mm -hmm. how they apply or which style they are where like once we know what style we are where do we go from here so mm-hmm. yeah would love a crash course starting with just like what are they and how do yeah. we know what attachment style we are yeah
0: so i like to say attachment style and attachment style is most simply the way you attach or relate to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And are
1: they primarily or like only in romantic relationships or do they apply to all relationships, including platonic, familial, all the things?
0: I think the traits can certainly show up in a platonic friendship with a coworker. But I think, you know, if we go into like attachment theory, it was Mm -hmm. about the relationship with your primary caregiver and how that, you know, most intimate relationship at the time was created. And so the traits are going to most show up in your most intimate relationship. Got it. In the present. Okay. Got it. Got yeah. it. So, you know, I, and I can go into all the back history of, you know, why you develop these insecure attachment styles, but we'll just, for simplicity's sake, stick to, you know, how the four attachment styles show up in our, in our, lives in our world. So let's start with a secure attachment, right? That's like yeah. the goal that we're that we're all like leaning towards, right? Secure attachment style just means you have a most simply healthy view of yourself and a healthy view of other people. Meaning you trust other people, you can open up, you can be vulnerable, you can share what you really think, feel and need, and you welcome others to be able to lean on you. There's like this give Mm. and take, there's an ability to trust, Um, Mm -hmm. trust other people to be there for you. And your sense of self is not so much dependent or defined by other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just have a very, you know, solid sense of who you are and your identity. Unlike the anxiously attached person, Myself, Uh, (laughs) your view of yourself is very much impacted by what other people think about you, how other people treat you. You know, so in the dating world, that shows up like, oh, they ghosted me. Oh, they didn't call me after the first date. So then I automatically think there's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. I'm unworthy because of what this other person did. Clearly, you know, kind of displaying this enmeshment in Mm. terms of like your opinion of yourself is so closely enmeshed with somebody else's behavior. Not so emotionally uh, vulnerable. If you're anxiously attached, you probably struggle to identify what your relationship needs are, much less express them or communicate them. You do not trust people to be there for you, to show up for you, which fuels that you know clinginess, that neediness, mm. that inability to sit when there is space between you and somebody else. And your opinion of others is really high. You put people on this pedestal, but your opinion of yourself is low, low Mm, self-worth. Interesting. Yeah. So into the dismissive avoidant personality, they pretty much have a, a good solid view of themselves. Not such a great view of other people. Don't open up. Don't rely or depend on others. Are not emotionally available. Very rigid walls walled off and and do not trust others to meet their needs because of all the past experiences of growing up with a parent or caregiver who was unable to meet their needs. So that's why they show up kind of avoidant because they don't Mm -hmm. trust to let you in. And then the fourth, the disorganized, also known as the fearful avoidant, really kind of a mixed bag of the avoidant and the anxious. It's kind of... Mm. So
1: for the people that were like... "Mm." I check all of those boxes. This this is for them.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. It's like this I hate you but don't leave me Mm. kind of internal struggle because Mm. you know, you want the partnership, but you also fear it very greatly at the same time. So it's Mm. this very chaotic, disorganized, quote unquote way Mm. of relating. So yes, that's the crash course. (laughs) (laughs) I know that was a lot.
1: (laughs) Okay. So Is there a best way to figure out or I guess diagnose or identify what your attachment style is? Is it literally just like seeing like WebMD style? Like I have these symptoms. (laughs) I think this is me. Yeah, and I really like that approach
0: because I think it's more helpful to kind of just, if you could read through all four attachment styles and not even look at what the the style was at the top of the page, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. And just pick and choose The traits that most apply to you so that you don't put yourself in a box, that you don't Mm -hmm. get stuck with putting this label on yourself. I think it's really just more helpful to identify the traits that you resonate with the most so that, you know, these are the things I want to work on within myself. Mm -hmm.
1: And do you tend to see the traits of each style like drastically change between, let's say, like early stage dating to like a committed dating relationship versus like a marriage or does it tend to be similar Behavior through all the stages. Yeah. Or does it evolve?
0: Yeah. I would say if you're kind of, you know, unaware of what your attachment style is, then it would probably pretty much stay the same mm-hmm. within whichever relationship you're with. But it can certainly change yeah. based on who you're dating. Mm. So, you know, if I'm anxiously attached and I'm dating an avoidant, I'm going to show up really anxious. But if I'm dating a securely attached person, they're going to create a more safe environment. And so therefore I will probably show up less anxious. So your, your style can certainly vary based on who you're dating and it exists on a spectrum. There's no, you know, hard lines for this Mm -hmm. stuff.
1: Okay. So once someone is like, okay, I think I'm this, like, let's say I think I'm anxiously attached. Where do we go from here? Like, what is that? What work does that invite us into now? Because I'm mm-hmm. sure that is just, that's literally the beginning. That is yeah, the prologue <laughs> to, yeah. to everything.
0: Yeah. And I think it's like, I know this is going to sound overly simplistic and it did to me the first time I thought about it. But if you identify with anxious attachment style, which I think a lot of people do, it's taking some time to finally tune inward to yourself
1: mm. because
0: you spend so much of your time externally focused on. Where are they? What are they doing? Do they like me? What do they think of me? You know, all of this external focus on them that you're so mm-hmm. disconnected from yourself. You don't even think it never even crossed my mind in the past. Do I like them?
1: Mm-hmm. That never even mm-hmm. crossed my mind. It was yeah, do it's they more like so me? how do I make them like me versus like you being in control of your experience?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So I strongly encourage you to just maybe just start with like taking an inventory of like who am I, you know hmm. what do I like, what do I dislike, the what are my questions, you know what are my preferences, what are yeah. my values, what are my needs. First time somebody said what are your needs in a relationship, I was like what? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also take an inventory of your beliefs,
1: hmm. your.
0: You know, just the automatic beliefs that pop up into your mind if somebody ghosts you. What do you Mm -hmm. automatically think? Mm -hmm. Because that belief, if it's a negative one,
1: needs to be acknowledged and revamped. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, they probably got really busy or like their phone's probably dead or like maybe something happened. like you assume like, oh, my God, they hate me or they're cheating on me or like blah, blah, blah. You're saying those types of scenarios. Like where does what is your automatic thought of what, what is happening? Yes. Okay. Get really okay. in
0: tune with what's going on inside of you.
1: So anxious attachment is really like the self-worth, the self-awareness, the like forming your own identity. What mm-hmm. about avoidant? Because it sounds like from what you said before, there's kind of a the opposite power dynamic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think for the dismissive avoidant, mm-hmm. particularly, it's about bringing your walls down, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to... Show parts of yourself, be more available. And if if being emotionally available is too much, I mean, simple things like when someone asks, How was your day? Can you say more than just, It was fine? You know, don't assume that nobody cares about what you have to say or that it's not safe to share these little tidbits of yourself. Because for, you know, the avoidant, it was years and years of not being prioritized, not having anyone to turn to, no one to rely on. So they're, they've built this tough exterior of I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. So mm-hmm.
1: allowing people in, mm-hmm. you know, I would say. Okay, so you keep saying dismissive, avoidant. Are there other types of avoidant then? So the fearful avoidant is yes, the, disorganized. the disorganized. Okay, yeah. got it. Mm-hmm. So for the disorganized attachment style, since they're a mix of both, then mm-hmm. where does someone begin? Yeah, yeah, and and for this attachment
0: style in particular is why I really emphasize just focusing on the traits you identify with the most mm. because you are such a such mm-hmm. a cross between the two. But interesting distinction between the disorganized slash fearful avoidant and the dismissive avoidant is the dismissive avoidance upbringing was I can't rely on my parents. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're not around. There's just really nothing going on between us. Nothing mm. nothing bad per se. There's well, of course, you know this emotional neglect, but yeah, nothing of note. It's just there's a non relationship there. Mm-hmm. So they become overly dependent or independent. I'm sorry. For the fearful avoidant, the experience with the caregiver was chaos. Mm-hmm. the the caregiver was a source of fear. Mm-hmm. So when there was a connection with their caregiver, which at times there was, the experience was typically, I need to be there for my caregiver. That mm-hmm. my only way of connecting with my caregiver is to be their support. And mm-hmm. as a child, of course, that's not your role. As a child, it should be the other way around. So there's this fear around relationships because relationships feel like this heavy burden Mm -hmm. and a source of fear. And I've also experienced moments of connection with a caregiver, even if it was me supporting them, at least there was a connection. So I do want that. Mm -hmm. So there's all that going on for the fearful disorganized person versus the dismissive who. Got little to no connection, mm. so it's I think for the fearful, avoidant, dis- disorganized, it's about helping you see that connection can be safe,
1: mm. and that's mm-hmm. going to
0: require you to to you know maybe for the first time along this healing journey is being really thoughtful about who you're choosing
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you're probably you know as we all do you're choosing someone who feels familiar, yeah. And it's just allowing you to continue that chaotic unhealthy mm-hmm. cycle. Okay.
1: Okay. I have a follow-up question to that because mm-hmm. like you said earlier, like there's only so much work that you can do on your own and then it comes time to like put it into practice with, with a partner. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, we don't want to like, for, like use other humans as our like practice field <laughs> for, sure. for developing sure. a secure attachment style. So like how do you distinguish that? And like, how do you discern when it's time to take your theory into practice with a partner? Or how do you like, acknowledge that in maybe a new relationship where you're like, so this is what I know to be true about myself or like this. Historically, these are my patterns. This is what I would like to work on without it being like, you're my practice dummy kind of thing. Yeah, totally. That's such a good question. I think Early on, I'm not saying
0: first date. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, early on, being honest, you know, about this is my history a little bit. Like, I've, I've, you know, noticed these things, you know, in myself in past relationships and I'm really working on them. And, you know, I don't want them to show up with you. I, I really like you and I'm, you know, really enjoying, you know, getting to know you. If I'm ever fill in the blank, you know, please, you know, call me out on it. Yeah, And if you're dealing with somebody who's healthy and secure themselves, I think they're going to be so receptive mm. to to that, which again, is just information. You know, again, it's like, I don't want to share my true feelings because I'm afraid of scaring them away, mm-hmm. but actually sharing your true feelings is going to evoke out of them the information that you need, which mm-hmm. is, are they going to positively respond to me or not? So yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to come across, yeah, that, that like test dummy uh, situation that you're, you're describing. I think being honest with others and being really honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. What is your intention when you're doing X, Y, and Z? Are you, you know, are you, are you really doing this out of malice or are you doing this because you're really trying to grow and level up?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I also, I saw an Instagram post of yours that was like something along, along the lines of like, you can't, ruin a relationship by being vulnerable or you can't ruin a relationship by being honest can you say more about that concept because I think a lot of people would be afraid to be like this is my history like this is the this is why I'm like this like I would like to explore this together but I think that's probably scary when it's still a a new relationship and it feels very vulnerable to like bring that to the table
0: totally and I know it sounds like counterintuitive but Being your most authentic self is what will draw in a more compatible partner. Mm. Because if you're showing up this faux version of yourself, of course, you're going to attract somebody who, you know, takes advantage of you being boundaryless because you never say no or Mm -hmm. takes advantage of you being overly giving because you don't have any needs and you're just attending to theirs. Yeah. So when you start honoring yourself, you're actually going to draw in someone who's more aligned with what you actually need and yeah. I always say you want the reaction whatever mm. the, whatever you're gonna say whatever you got to share yeah you want their reaction you want to know this is important respond?
1: yeah this is yeah. important information to yeah. important feedback for you to take in and yeah. also like I know it's easy for me to say this because I'm like out of the game but mm-hmm. I also see it as like, what is the alternative for you to like continue kind of faking your way through it or like pretending that things are okay, and then and then what, like you move in together, you get married, you have kids, like how far down the road do we go before like the mask comes off or like you let them really see the real you? Because eventually I feel like people get to like what they feel is the point of no return. And they're like, well, this is my life now and I don't think I even really like them or I don't know if they even like me. Yes. And that is such a, you know, mindset
0: from a securely attached person, you know, but unfortunately I think when we have that insecure attachment style and we're driven by, you know, these abandonment wounds and attachment Uh trauma, we're not thinking like you were just thinking this logical, rational, you know, perspective. It's, it's just fear. You're totally Uh driven by fear. Don't leave.
1: Uh Don't leave.
0: And I will betray myself and neglect myself. And dishonor myself as long as you stay. Yeah. It's.
1: Yeah. And I like I don't think I've always been securely attached. I think I grew to be that like in the relationship that I'm in. Mm -hmm. So to -hmm. our previous point about like being honest with yourself. And I mean, I didn't have that conversation when I met my now husband at like Mm -hmm. 17. I wasn't like, so this is my Mm -hmm. attachment style. Right. But like we were able to, you know, kind of figure it out together. And Mm -hmm. we've both been on our like independent paths like self-growth paths and brought that together and so i think to your point like there is definitely huge merit in just bringing that to the relationship i'm trying to figure out maybe what my previous attachment style was cuz i definitely wasn't always secure <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah going back into the to the books mm-hmm. taking a yeah. quiz or
1: something yeah so i'm curious what are some like telltale signs of a healthy versus unhealthy relationship. And my follow-up question to this is, why does a healthy relationship often feel boring mm-hmm. to people who are used to something that's unhealthy?
0: Yeah. So I would say that telltale signs of a healthy relationship, actually did a post on this recently, respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are going to sound super simple, right? But respect, trust, honesty, direct and clear communication. Emotional availability, authenticity, autonomy. You know, Mm -hmm. you want to be able to have some independence outside of the relationship. Physical intimacy, that doesn't just include sex. I'm talking about all forms of, you know, physical intimacy. Those are the pillars. And I think, unfortunately, I'll say I have so many clients who have been made to feel like those things are so unreasonable.
1: Mm, Like it's just too Uh much to ask. Yeah,
0: and I'm mm-hmm. like, if any if anyone's making you feel like the basic tenets of a healthy relationship are too much, yeah, then go find less. That's what I always tell. Yeah, me. you know, tell mm.
1: them to go find less. Those are the basics. Yeah, Those are the basics. Okay, like, so on the flip side, what it what are examples of red flags where someone yeah. may think this is fine? I can I can live with this, but actually, like we should be taking a closer look at it. Yeah.
0: So I definitely think everybody should have their like list of just the non-negotiables, the things Mm. that just don't align with you. Maybe you don't want to date someone who has children. Nothing wrong with children, but maybe you just don't want to date someone who has children. A smoker, right? Someone who any sort of like hard like lines like that, like these Mm. non-negotiables. And then I think red flags, I know that term gets thrown around so much. (laughs) I, I look at red flags as things to take note of. And if you are feeling really uncomfortable about the thing, bring it up. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps, you know, there's so much nuance. Perhaps you realize this isn't even worth bringing up. Mm-hmm. It's just time for the relationship to mm-hmm. to be over. So I guess, you know, going against all of those things that we were saying, there's disrespect. You know, maybe not being respectful of your time. Canceling plans last minute with no excuse mm-hmm. or leaving you on red for days at a time. Or you know, being inconsistent yeah. with just basic communication, mm-hmm. you know. And I always say to people, "Would you communicate this way with a coworker?" Mm-hmm. You know, we we think it's like this huge ask that somebody respond in a timely manner. Yeah, and I'm like, if they can respond and hold a job, they clearly probably exhibited. They are some- capable,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, so they're don't- just choosing you with you.
0: Right. Yeah. So yeah, just the signs of like this emotionally unavailable person, the inconsistency, the hot and cold, the vague, the wishy-washy, all of those sort of um, mixed messages, Mm -hmm. red flags. And especially as someone who's anxiously attached, who's drawn to the avoidant, that's probably what you're getting a lot of is that inconsistency.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And so- I'm I'm thinking back to like, okay, my husband and I did break up when we went when I went to college. So there was a year and a half where I got to re-enter the dating pool. And I'm thinking about like the flings that I had and the people that I talked to and the pattern that I would fall into would be like the cat and mouse game of like mm-hmm. I wanted to be pursued, but then like if they got too like into me, I was like, mm, I don't like you anymore. Mm-hmm. This is too much. Or if they weren't responding to me, I'd be like, oh, my God, he's they? losing interest. Why right. doesn't he like me? How do I make him right. like me again? And so if someone's like in that cycle, because I think that it's so probably easy to be in that cycle. My hypothesis is like because that experience is pre. I mean, I guess Tinder was around, but it was like pre like really like dating apps being super a thing. Like everyone's mm-hmm. on the apps. Mm hmm. My hypothesis is like apps make it so easy for you to just be like "Mm, on to the next one, on to the next one. You like get hooked in. You have like the game and the chase for a bit and then you get bored and then you move on. So how does someone break that like cycle of the game and the chase and then actually desire like something that is stable and healthy and like probably feels boring? Like where you're like actually communicating and you like actually talk about how you feel and you're honest and like that's kind of boring after you, after you are so you said that like adrenaline of will he won't he all that right right
0: yeah and for me it was really helpful to understand why I was drawn to the hot and cold
1: mm. um why
0: why was someone's inconsistency this like invitation to try harder you know mm. wh- why 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 was that a thing? Yeah. Um, And through understanding attachment styles and like, you know, this word, you know, abandonment wounds, also attachment issues gets thrown around all the time. If you grew up in a home where your parents were hot and cold, inconsistent, Mm -hmm. if there was this emotional disconnect, emotional trauma, people don't like to hear or acknowledge, I have emotional trauma.
1: But yeah. it's it's the little things, right? Well, it's like it's, there's little T trauma too, yes, right? It doesn't exactly. all have to be like the big T trauma of this like huge life altering event.
0: Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm talking about, and I, and I wish that was so more known, you know, the big T versus little T traumas. I'm talking about like you come home from school and nobody cares when you like are all excited to show your homework mm, that you mm-hmm. got an A. Th- that is literally... Telling you as a child that what matters to you doesn't matter to your parent.
1: Wow. You know, that, yeah. That
0: that who you are isn't important to them.
1: Yeah. And it didn't that, even have to be like malintent, right? Like your parent could literally have been like so busy, like getting dinner ready for the whole exactly. family that they were like, not now, honey. Right. Like, exactly. But you interpret it and you internalize it.
0: Exactly. And if that's happening on a pretty consistent basis, mm-hmm. then that's kind of the theme of the home. Because like you said, no malintent, mom and dad are just busy with other things. Our sense of worth doesn't get really the strong foundation because who's Mm -hmm. around to mirror our worth to us Mm. if our parents are distracted? So Mm -hmm. say all that to say you're drawn to the person who's not fully available because your parents weren't fully available. Mm -hmm. So you're choosing people who confirm the beliefs you already hold about yourself Mm -hmm. and who make you feel the way they did. It feels familiar. This Mm -hmm. unavailable person. That's not an alarm bell. That's not a red flag. That's just, that's just what I'm used to. Yeah. And, and just acknowledging your model of love is unhealthy. So how do I how do I stop seeing this as boring? The healthy person you have to realize that what you are operating off of is simply unhealthy. And and now that you're aware, it's like this conscious choice. Mm -hmm. Do I want to continue to choose to repeat the unhealthy pattern, or do I want to actually be like really excited by somebody who's consistent Mm
1: -hmm. and does what they say they're going to do, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay. So then I'm curious, what does it look like to be an emotionally available partner? Because I think to me, it feels more obvious what it looks like to have an emotionally available partner, but it it might be harder for someone to actually be honest with themselves of, am I emotionally available? Would you agree?
0: Totally agree. Yeah. And I think that the avoidantly attached person often gets labeled as the emotionally unavailable one Mm. but you know PSA anxiously attached people can be just as emotionally unavailable Mm. Um, and it just shows up in different ways Mm. like we were saying I'm not going to tell you how I feel because I'm afraid you're going to leave so I'll just Mm. keep my feelings to myself you you right there in that moment are are not being emotionally available yourself Mm. but we don't like I think the avoidance get, you know, the bad rap for being the unavailable
1: ones.
0: Uh, So that's just one example.
1: Okay. So then something else that has come up a lot in your content is the concept of codependency. Mm. And I've often wondered, do me and Andrew have a level of codependency? Because Mm. like I said, we've been together for 10 years and our lives have been built together for like a very long time. So Mm. tell us more about like what is codependency mean? At what point is it like we've built a great partnership and a great life together before it crosses into the line of like, I am codependent on this person? Yeah, just the, the lay of the land.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's a loaded questions. that I don't want to go on and on and on. I can talk about these things for hours. But yeah. like you said, Cliff Notes version, codependency, let's start with definition, the repeated neglect of yourself mm-hmm. in order to obtain love enoughness, or validation from someone else or okay. something else too. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people like, you know, for their job or something can get, really, oh, interesting. you know, so the crux of codependency is really no, no strong identity, no sense of self. Mm. My sense of self is completely dependent on people outside of me, what they do, what they don't do. I need you other person to feel enough To be able to receive love, to um, feel worthy, I need you. Mm, Um, Okay. So, with that in mind, with that in mind, I will do anything to maintain our relationship because I need you to feel good. So,
1: that sounds quite parallel to the anxious attachment style. Is that Mm -hmm. typically how it comes up? Yes. Yes. And okay. I think, yeah, codependency,
0: we just don't really get into attachment styles, attachment theory and all of that. But.
1: Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Very synonymous. So interesting. So then I assume healing the codependency piece looks very similar to healing the anxious attachment.
0: Yes. And I would say two main components are developing a solid sense of boundaries, mm. particularly not only, you know, physical boundaries, but, you know, this idea of mental boundaries. That my opinion of myself, what I think is not dependent or impacted by you and what you think or how you treat me. My mm. worth is not defined by you. And then another huge thing for codependence is this people pleasing, this overgiving, this, you know, self-betrayal, mm. um, taking on responsibilities that are not yours, you know, giving, 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 because all you really want is for all of this giving to be reciprocated and you get mm. back the love, the attention, the approval, the validation.
1: So so it's like giving, but with an ulterior motive of like giving it's, it's, in a transactional way in which I, ex- I expect it to be returned. Yes, it is mm-hmm. very
0: covertly manipulative, which mm-hmm. you know, for me personally, as a co- codependent, for sure, I didn't want to acknowledge that at first. Like, I was just yeah. angry at the other person. But yeah, it was totally manipulative. Yeah, yeah.
1: Manipulative. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so interesting. And you mentioned it can be codependency on a thing to like meaning, for example, can an entrepreneur be codependent on their business, meaning like their business's success means they are successful and worthy or like how their content performs, like validates whether they have good ideas, like that type of thing. Totally. Yeah. I think your
0: your view of yourself is dependent on this thing outside of yourself. Mm.
1: OK, yeah. interesting. And think
0: about think about like still like kind of the self-betrayal, the working long hours, yeah. the not having a social life because you're building this business, because if it fails, then you feel I am a failure.
1: Yeah, I think that probably hits for a lot of people, because even if you can't relate to maybe the anxious attachment style or being codependent on a romantic partner, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to feeling like their self-worth is like tied to their business or that they have a good day. If it's a good day in business, they have a bad day. If it's a bad day in business and they don't have a lot of separation in that like identity or the emotion related to their business. But I find that the solution is often the same. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I'm always telling my clients like get a hobby Figure out who you are outside of your business. Like, have boundaries. Have time that you do other things. Take your weekends off. Like, it's Mm -hmm. really interesting how the solutions are very much the same. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Because
0: I always say you're codependent whether you're in a relationship or not. You know,
1: Mm, the function is
0: still the same.
1: Yeah. Okay. So something I want to dig into a little bit more was you mentioned that women are often made to feel and internalize feeling too much in relationships or that they are expecting too much or they are being too much and then they settle or they sacrifice parts of themselves how can we start repatterning that piece where we're willing to like really raise our standards and like mm-hmm. especially you know The people listening to this podcast are like ambitious women, women who have big goals and who have huge dreams. And a lot of us have probably felt like we intimidate men, for example, Mm -hmm. like we've been told Mm -hmm. are intimidating or Mm -hmm. we feel like we are too much or we are being seen as someone who's like undateable, for for example. So how do we... Own that? Like, how do we own that we, yeah, we have high expectations? Yeah, we have like really high standards and we have a big vision for life. And that is going to be unrealistic to some people that we might come across in dating. Yeah,
0: I think, you know, I'm totally like thinking of gender norms and all the things we're conditioned as women to kind of like be the subservient, you know, this 1950s kind of thing. And the more I think you just step into who you are and hold on to that, like I was saying earlier, you want the reaction, mm-hmm. you know, is this person receptive of me being my authentic, true, badass self mm-hmm. or not? Because if they're not, then you don't want them anyway.
1: And if mm-hmm. you stay,
0: like you said you earlier, what's the alternative to just continue to dishonor yourself, betray yourself, let go of your passions because, you know, they find them threatening or, you know you're too much. So yeah, I think you want the reaction. You want the reaction. Mm -hmm. And if it's too much, well, I'll go be myself. Go find less, as you (laughs) said before.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So then at that point, let's say you have that conversation with yourself or you, you say, this is my standard, this is my expectation. And someone doesn't rise to meet it. Like, what is the fallout plan for like Mm -hmm. self-soothing for like putting yourself back together for like being ready to get back out there again? Like how do you walk someone through that like a breakup and maybe there's like an identity crisis or a spiral or just like emotionally they're really distraught? Like where, where do we begin to pick up the pieces after we dare to like set that standard and it's not met?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think For a lot of people who are in the process of healing that anxious attachment wound, when we get in relationship, there's this kind of subconscious projection of all that we want, all that we need, all of our emotional needs get put on this person. Mm. You know, this person is finally the one who's going to... Make me feel enough, make me feel loved, you know, mm-hmm. be my source of connection and all the things. And then when they go away, when the breakup happens, we subconsciously are thinking all of my needs are no longer going to get met.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: So I really strongly emphasize this separation of the emotional needs from the person.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. I think that really helps kind of fuel this. I can. I, I've got this. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to acknowledge the pain, and I, you know, I can't fast forward through it. You know, maybe there's mm-hmm. going to be days and weeks of just feeling sad
1: and grieving mm-hmm.
0: the loss of this relationship, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. However, I know that all of those emotional needs, the connection, the love, are still attainable. Mm-hmm. I can still give those things to myself, meaning I'm in control of getting those needs met in multiple sources. And so if it's connection, how can you give yourself connection that doesn't include that person? And just empowering yourself to figure out, well, if my needs are X, Y, and Z, how am I going to be in charge of those? Mm. I can't just expect somebody else to give me those needs all the time. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the idea of like, we can't, it's not fair to expect our partner to like be everything all the time. Like I've read that Now more than ever, we expect our partners to be like our best friend and also our lover and also our like emotional like processing center and Mm -hmm. also this and also that. And like it's not a realistic expectation to put on like any singular human other than maybe Mm -hmm. yourself, but like an outside human.
0: Yeah, exactly. So having multiple sources for you to fulfill your needs, Mm -hmm. um, not only external sources, But also, how am I going to meet my need for connection? So, Mm -hmm. you know, what if nobody's available? What if everybody's out of town? Well, as cliche and silly as it sounds, you know, you can go for a walk and tune inward and ask yourself all those questions that we talked about at the beginning. What do you think? How are you feeling today? What do you need? What do you want for yourself? What's your intention for the day? Right? You can Mm -hmm. ask yourself those questions. The same way you would ask a friend at coffee mm-hmm. about themselves. I mean, I used to never tune inward or notice myself. Yeah.
1: Well, it's so easy oh. to just never sit with yourself. There's There are so many things that we can consume and like so many places that we can distract ourselves that it makes sense that a lot of people are choosing not to do that work. I mean, I even find myself sometimes when I'm like. I'm really anxious today, so I'm going to turn on a podcast. Or, like, I'm really sad, so I need to listen to music instead of just being, like, like being with it and, like, processing whatever is coming up. It's so easy not to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So to me, it sounds like the big takeaway is creating that space to ask the hard questions, being willing to, like, have the hard conversations both with yourself and with the person that you're dating or your partner and just being curious. And I know I'm not, like I said, like in the dating game anymore, but like, I find that in my own growth, like being curious when stuff comes up instead of being judgmental has been like the biggest help as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I, I think that was a great summary. Yes.
1: Amazing. So Mm -hmm. where do people go if they want more dating advice, relationship advice, attachment Style, theory, all the things that we just talked about, and so much more. Like, I guys had a hard time deciding, like, what direction do I even take this interview with Erica because mm-hmm. you know so much about so many things. So, where do they find you? Where can they plug more into your work? Tell us all the things. Oh,
0: thank you. So, yeah, on Instagram, it's your.relationship.reset. The website is yourrelationshipreset.com. And In both of those places, you can find all of my online courses, workshops. You can join my newsletter so that you can get, you know, anything that's being launched straight to your inbox. And I'm actually next week or August 9th, I'm hosting the next live workshop on codependency. So you can join that workshop and all the info is again, at the link in bio on my Instagram and yeah we can conquer codependency. That's what it's called. Perfect. uh,
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Erica, thank you so, so much for your time. I know everyone is going to go dig deeper into your work because it's so important and we appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you for having me.